Taxes aren't sibilant. Red um, leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, <laughs> yellow leather. I, I don't remember why I'm supposed to. <laughs> I don't it's, remember why I'm supposed to say that. <laughs> it, it's to make your mouth do real fancy things. Real fancy things. Well, you know, I, I am fairly close to West Virginia. I do want to make sure I got a pretty mouth. Well, that's good because, so. you know, you know, I taught um, Katie's kid how to pay for college because there's only four words you have to know to pay for college, and it's a uh, keys, cell phone, knife, wallet now. <laughs> that's five. Oh, well, you're supposed to have Six. a knife. That was... It's key cell phone wallet now. Sorry. Ah. And you have a knife. I'm a very smart person, I promise. Uh, the Art I Swear editions where I'm on back medication. Yay! So, um, this is obviously Art I Swear, and I'm Vanessa Van Alstein, and this is Jim. Say hi, Hello. Jim. Jim's here because Katie is at the North Texas Irish Festival. Her mother was one of the founding members. And so the first weekend, every March in Fair Park in Texas, there is the North Texas Irish Festival. They have like Irish music performances, plays, uh, Irish American vendors. And uh, you can walk around Fair Park and get soused, which is the real reason half the people show up. And Katie gets railroaded into it every year because uh, after her mother passed, they like want to live through Judy, through Katie. I, you know, sorry, Katie. I hope you're having fun. I think it's also her 10th wedding anniversary because she got married at Irish Festival. And in the photos, there's sheep behind them. It's really great because who doesn't want to get married around sheep? Well, I suppose it's good to always keep your options open. You yeah. Know, just in case. I mean, Marriage doesn't go through. I'm sure some days both of them wish they had married one of their sheep instead. <laughs> is he Irish too? Yes. Or is he just? Did he just? He's like, why? Why is? Why is everybody? I'm they were doing. A, they met doing a play at Irish Festival. I don't. Okay, so I, I, Irish or alcoholic? I, one of the two. Gibbs is German, but I could be wrong. It's always funny, too, because, like, all of her other friends are, like, so into helping. And I'm like, no, I'm the shitty friend that doesn't help. And I'm, like, a fourth Irish. So <laughs> I'm, like, more Irish than most people. You know, I had somebody drag me into a Renaissance festival with the helpy sort of thing once. They were like, come to the Renaissance festival that I'm I'm part of. It'll be fun. And I got there, and they were like, okay, here's some, some period garb. Uh, you're carrying tables for the rest of the day. And I'm like, it's a hundred and something outside and you're making me wear all wool. And, uh, and well, uh, I got, I got really drunk that night. It was very nice though. It was, I will say one thing like the Rennies, they, they know how to party. Yeah, they, they will can party. party. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I thought like, I thought like hanging out with bands and stuff that band people know how to party especially like marching band band people, but no man, the Rennies, they, the, there was a drink that had apples in it. And that was how they described it was this drink has apples in it. As in, I dropped an apple in it and it just sort of dissolved. Oh my goodness. 
Yeah. yeah. In uh, around Austin every year, later in March, in the beginning of April, there's Scarborough Fair, and that's been going on since the 70s. And every time I go to it, the amount of people and rascals make me wonder how anyone thinks white people are a superior race. Like, it's just, it's, it's like, it's kind of a good experience. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, we suck. <laughs> well, they're, they're evolving into the people from Wally. -E. There you go. They're just the next, the next human. But some of them dress up like horses in front of their rascals. So it looks like a cart. So it's neat when people put in the effort, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting mix. And I almost got in a fist fight with some dude for making fun of a uh, trans woman. So that was interesting. <laughs> Here she comes to save the day. Social justice Vanessa is on her way. Anyways. So that's where Katie is. And that's why Jim's here. Jim is a, another podcaster who's kind of in between podcasts at the moment. He's like, he's like desperately seeking podcast. Like, yeah, as she was driving down the road, she saw me. I was standing on the side of the road. It was like, we'll podcast for food on my little sign. So I'm not feeding him. He's getting like ripped off. Oh, shit. <laughs> You're not supposed to tell me that until afterwards. It's okay. You already chained to the radiator. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I um, mean, like, I, I don't know why you agreed to that. Katie at least pretends to fight. Well, you know what? I'll just chew my own foot off and that'll solve two of my problems simultaneously. Yeah, there you go. So I technically fed you. I just made you be creative in the food. Yeah. I, I'm it's a giver. open source free range, Jim. You can't say I never gave you anything. I gave you your own foot to eat. How You're welcome. You're welcome. So, um, so yeah. You I talk about art. Yeah. But actually, I wanted to tell you about this crazy dream that I had the other night first, real quick, if we can okay, diverge so into this. Like, you know, Freud's interpretation of dream had a big influence on art. So let's go. Maybe I can. I, I don't know what Freud would say about this other than, you know, I probably want to kill my father and have sex with my mother. But I'm pretty sure he said that about just about everything. So, well, you know, sometimes um, a cigar is just a cigar. Right. And sometimes Freud was projecting. Uh, but so. I'm looking at this like farmhouse and it's got kind of this very American Gothic -y sort of feel to it. And there's an old man and he's sitting at a table and then there's an old woman and she's looking in like a cabinet or a refrigerator or something. But the weird thing is they look like people, but their clothes are gray and everything else in the room is also gray. And I'm not talking about like 50 shades of gray, gray. I'm talking about just like flat monotone, one single shade of gray for everything. And it's this like beat up gray kitchen table and gray chairs on a gray floor. And there's gray cabinets and the people are wearing gray and the plates are gray and everything is gray except no. the room is full of glowing green cats and it's just so freaky. So did you wait a second? That wasn't a dream. You're lying to me. That is a Sandy Skoland photograph. Yay. It's called radioactive cats. Yay. It's you... like she plucked it from my very, 
seen that before. <laughs> so. It's so surreal. Your sound cut out. That was beautiful. But yeah, it's like I, it, you, you, you like prophesied this, uh, this podcast topic. However, did that happen? I am so confused. I, I don't know. It's like magic. It's like we but talked while on we're here, messenger. Ah. Yes. While, while we're here, let's tell me more about the works of Sandy Skogland. Sandy Skogland, obviously she's a photographer. Um, this is a staged photograph. It's also called a tableau, which has a rich history in theater and uh, photography. It's also fun to say. Yeah. I always think of the cell, like my evil tableau where I store people. That was such a bad movie. Tableau. It's like, would you like to come to my house and see my tableau? Nobody. No, that sounds, it sounds like it's made out of like, you know, actual dead cats instead of like polystyrene or whatever these are. <laughs> I think they're clay. I think clay was one of the big things that she used, you at know, least initially. Be, it would be easy to make like multiple copies, so you have backups. So that makes sense. Because I know that that the last thing that she was working on, uh, she said that she stopped halfway through because they stopped making the clay that she liked using. So, yeah, and I have to say, I'm she guessing. really she really nails the gesture of cats in this because they're like on the window and moving around and knocking things over. And that's, you know, they, they're, yeah, they're this doing is... like very cat body gestures, which is something that's hard to capture in sculpture, but she has a diverse uh, studio background. So that makes sense. Cause she went to uh, Smith college in Northampton, Massachusetts in the sixties, which is a very good art school. She also studied at the Sorbonne in France which is uh, one of the best art schools in the world and has been for centuries. And then she has a master's of arts in art history and one in fine arts and painting uh, from the university of Iowa. So that would explain uh, her referencing tableaus, which Originally, these were like a theater thing where people would dress up to suit a landscape and like people would walk through it. Affluent people obviously did this and uh, they felt like immersed in this world. It transitioned over into photography. <coughs> Pardon me there. It transitioned over into photography uh, through a French fellow whose name is Jean-Francois Chevalier. Um, and apparently tableau is a word that doesn't translate into English very well. It's kind of like picture, but it has connotations of like a very involved picture. And he said, uh, tableaus are designed and produced for the wall, summoning a confrontational experience on the part of the spectator that sharply contrasts with the habitual processes of appropriation and projection whereby photographic images are normally received and consumed. Do you need me to translate that? Is that, you think you got it? Yeah, can you, can you knock it down about two years of art school for me yeah i okay so go back to like freshman class yeah should start yeah. this like my freshman drawing class if you don't like cussing go find another fucking teacher you're adults <laughs> um 
I was a great teacher and that it was totally horrible. Anyways, um, so what really Sandy is doing is she's come to art in the 60s and 70s where modernism begins to die and something called postmodernism erupts. And what postmodernism does is it accepts that appropriation and reappropriation and the figure are all acceptable in art. This means, unlike modernists or uh, Dutch candlelight or neo greco something or another, you don't have to necessarily adhere to just one style of art, that art has in fact evolved to the point that you can use things like the figure. You can reference modernism and Dutch candlelight in the same thing. You can bring in commercial elements like pop art into more traditional painting. And this I kind mean, of it's like- essentially like the multimedia art of modern, but she was doing it all the way back into the seventies where she's well, got all these mixed. Well, mixed media and multimedia is really going to mean a finished piece that has multiple elements from different uh, genres in it. Her pieces, while they are installations and then photographs, there really should be like kind of a different term for her. And that's why Tableau does apply because the pieces that you're going to experience are either just going to be a photograph or just going to be an installation, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like mixed media is going to be like a, um, a painting that has like beads glued to it. There's a, there's a very famous painter named Julian Schnabel who uh, would make these giant canvases and glue plates to them and then paint on top of them. That's well, I was thinking, I was thinking more in the way that like a lot of the, the tableaus that she's set up is a combination of found items that she, you know, hunted down and I want, you know, the perfect dresser for the background of this scenario. And then other things that are the same, that, that are part of the same tableau are things that she has created by hand, like the cats, the, I mean, if, if we go back to the radioactive cats, the, the the chairs and the table and those things are are things that she acquired because they were the right the right feel for the piece the cats are things that she made so it's it's like it almost kind like of, it's a three-dimensional collage I yeah think that's a good yeah, way to think of it and that is a little different from mixed media because mixed media is it's usually kind of a two-dimensional thing in and of itself and while photography is two-dimensional like I said, it, these are just photographs. She's not like painting on top of them too or adding something additionally. So the photographs are just kind of technically like that's just a photographic medium of a tableau. Right. It's a photograph of a collage tableau of things that she has painted and found and made which are trippy. Yeah, yeah. Trippy's a good word there. I will all agree. Trippy is with a that. very good word for these. She's at her peak in the like 60s and 70s, so that's probably also a little appropriate. Um but you know, and to be fair, these art terms, if they seem real confusing, there's like 
PhD dissertations on like the minute differences between these things. And so I've had that like beaten into my cranium with a ball peen hammer and I'm scared to like say the wrong thing and have the hammer come after me again because Mr. Jones is really not a nice hammer. Well, also, I mean, when you go out on a limb and you do something is different as Sandy Skoglund has done, it's one of those things where, you know, if, if, if enough people did it, then there would be some sort of new term that they'd have to create for it. But, but her things are, I won't say they're entirely unique, but her things are iconic and uh, they're divergent visually arresting. From, yeah, they're they're not something like it. It's not something that I've seen a lot of other people ever do, or things like she has done. Yeah, she takes a lot of risks. Um, that said, if you know much about the history of feminist photography in the seventies and eighties or installation work in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. She's very much in dialogue with uh, especially women in those mediums. Um, I would compare her to people like Cindy Sherman or Jessica Stockholder. Um, and like Jessica Stockholder teaches at Yale. And if you're an art major and don't know who Cindy Sherman is, you deserve a spanking. Well, I will let that go, Jim, if you don't know who Cindy Sherman is. <laughs> He's Googling it real fast. He's, he's like, who's, who's she took photographs of herself or in the seventies. It's her, um, in staged B movies. Um, and she's progressed into like adding props. So she looks like she's got like exposed like breasts and genitals, but they're actually like sex toys. Um, and then she did some where she was like creepy clowns and her most recent one, she's embraced the fact that she's middle-aged now. And, took a lot of self portraits of herself as like affluent women, how they would like depict themselves in professional photographs, huh. which, you know, I well, feel I like that's really brave. I wasn't Googling before, but I am now. Yeah. No, Cindy Sherman's fascinating mm -hmm. and she really needs to be a podcast. Um, and yeah, I, and I, um, the, uh, the early works of Skoglund, there's a lot of things which are, uh, and the the picture that you've got up right now, if you're watching the video it's, version uh, of this, is luncheon meat on a counter, and it's a marbled piece of like square bologna or something on a like harvest gold and white marbled surface. It's obviously like a faux marble. I'm pretty sure my grandmother had my meemaw had that in her bathroom. But before she started doing things like this, there's a whole series of her photographs which are reflections of her and other things in household like uh like typical woman's work and i'm not i'm i'm air quotes in here but woman's work woman's work like, is actually a valid art term so good good job you get to pat yourself on the back Woo! but yeah like reflections of her and other people and things around her in things like the iron the tea kettle uh shiny you can, you can see in those very early photographs that she has a wonderful eye for color like she picks up on like unusual and uncomfortable colors and brings them to the forefront and creates kind of a dynamic dialogue with the viewer 
it's very hard to understand color theory so well that you can add tension. And that's one of the interesting things with this piece of meat on this counter is chromatically, the pink and the yellows are pretty much identical. So it's a comment on consumer culture and uh, the woman's role in the house with just presenting what are two like really like beautifully similar surfaces. And it's the subtlety that's there is remarkable. Because, you know, that crap's hard to do. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's, um, if, uh, oh, and then, <clears throat> so this one's one that I, I really liked. Uh, he's on a plate. There he's on a plate. He's on a plate. It's a bunch of, uh, square and, uh, polka dot surfaces. The plates, just a paper polka dot plate. The peas are, green peas and a like as perfect of a square as you're ever going to get green peas in. And then it's on a tabletop that is a yellow red. And I think that's a Navy blue, but it's not showing up well on my monitor uh, surface that are square with polka dots inside. And it would be enough to make anybody with OCD just sort of recoil in horror because there's no, they're all visually similar, but there's also no way to like, uh, align the the different polka dot patterns so that they actually jive with one another because of the curvature of the plate. But so, then they do jive with each other because of the repeated elements. They kind of develop their own rhythm. But yeah, it's like it's an, it's an asynchronous rhythm. This is not a symphony. This is like noise music. Right. It's and there's a hundred P's because it's 10 rows of 10. And she did this in the 70s. And you have to, I think about this from the edge of like pop art. Like this is looking at men like Warhol and Lichtenstein with his Binday dots and going, I see how commercialism from the male point of view has sold through advertising this idea of femininity and uh, the household. But I'm kind of looking at that at, from the mundane, the mundane perspective of a woman that is situated within those barriers. And this is triple interesting because, you know, like I said, she's the art history in the studio background, but she started taking photographs just to take pictures of her work. So this wasn't even her original medium and she perfected it so beautifully. Yeah. She just, she just had a natural eye for it and, and started running with it. Well, I mean, she had an eye for it and then she had a brain for it and she had. Yes. Yeah. It's, it, there's a smart dimension here, which is, I think that even if you don't know a whole lot of art and don't know a lot about feminist photography in the seventies, you can kind of see the undercurrents in this. Um, and this is just another piece from the series that I like. That's like marbled, like a rye bread on a, like, I think Very that's 16 marble cheesecake. Blues. It could be. It's just making me hungry. I haven't had dinner yet. That's all I <laughs> I'd like to put it in my mouth and find out. Oh. Um, but yeah, once again, it's the playoff of pattern, the repetition, the rhythm of the picture that she gets very naturally and the kind of like smart social undercurrent. And I think it's fair to say that she is a political artist. Most of these photographs have a subtle undercurrent that says something about you being a woman or the state of the world at the time. She even did some Barney's windows that kind of have that like unease about consumer culture and the consuming quality of consumer culture, because I think some of this 
overbearing color is supposed to be how consumer culture absorbs. Yeah, there's, um, so I don't have the art history that you do, but I do have television history. And there is a lot evocative in her work, especially of the advertisements of the 1970s, the bright, bold colors, the, the stark contrasts. But uh, she's got, she's turned the method of those things. And she's done, like you said, with Warhol, she's, uh, she's twisted the very iconography of it into something that says an entirely different thing than, oh, this looks delicious. You should eat this. Mm-hmm. Like with the meat on the counter, yeah, some where, of my... does, where does the meat begin and the Formica counter end? And should you be eating that meat if it's... Well, and that's one of my one of my biggest problems with Warhol, because I'm not a very big fan in some ways, is that a lot of his work is really just very vapid. And it's about the vapidity of consumer culture, but it some of it really lacks a depth that I would like to see there. You can kind of tell he was making a buck, and I hate to make that criticism, but I'm going to do it. You people can fight me in the comments. Yeah, fight us. Fight, fight us in the us. comments. Fight She's Jim. in Texas. Go find her. I'm a Dallas. (laughs) Um, So I wanted to, this painting or this photograph is not a painting. This is, this is so loaded and so beautiful. It's just called hangers. And it's a room with two chairs, a trash can, a deflated rubber ducky and a dead plant in a yellow pot. The floor is pink the wall is yellow and everything is covered in blue coat hangers. And this is obviously a commentary on abortion. Well, not only is it covered in coat hangers, but if you look the gaps in the chair that is in the, the front in the foreground line up perfectly with the coat hangers that are on the floor. So it's got on one of the chairs. Yeah. It's got like a depth of perspective to it where it's, uh, I mean, it is a tableau that that I'm sure was reproduced in different art installations and things, but this was clearly lined up specifically to be shot the direction that she's shooting it because there is such an intent purpose of just like, uh, especially there's one thing where she has managed to squeeze in in perfect alignment uh, like four coat hangers just in one space without them touching the chair that they're nowhere near. And there's the yellow it's... balls on the floor that kind of represent like breasts, I feel like, and also children's toys. And the door, yes. like there's a woman that's opening the door. Um, she doesn't have makeup on. She looks like she's in pajamas and she honestly looks like she's like going to go to bed or maybe these are supposed to reference scrubs. They're yellow like the wall, and her gaze is looking down at the dead plant in a jar next to the rubber ducky. And I am definitely getting forlorn from that. Yeah, I mean, it's you could probably in, you know project a lot of emotions there. She's also barefoot, um, so I there's kind of like the danger that. of that is... stepping into the room, and it's yeah, it's I mean, like it's, it's, it's obviously. Every... Go ahead. Go ahead. Everything that she does is like this. There is so much to unpack and so much to read in. And I think that that's kind of, that's, that's the brilliance of it is every person can take a look at this and go, 
well, I mean, this says something to me and it may not say the same thing to two people and it may not say the thing that she meant it to say, but it is full of so many things that it's got to say something to you. Yeah. It, like, I feel like this asks a question like is, cause this looks like a child child's room. Did the child die? Did she choose to end the pregnancy? Was there some kind of tragedy behind that? Like, this, it, her, this is like an ordered world that's starting to fall apart. And like, so what, what caused that? And it reminds me kind of, uh, there's a Hemingway story that's like the world's shortest story. And I want right. to say it's a uh, for sale baby shoes, never worn. Never worn. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. I feel like that kind of applies to this and a lot of her work. So the next one we're going to look at is called the uh, revenge of the goldfish. Which is a fun title. Apparently, it was also used as a uh, cover for a band's uh, CD. Or yeah, in Spiral Carpets, which Spiral. were uh, never heard of them. Nineties alt rock. Uh, trying to think if they ever had any super big hits. I know, I know about them, but that's because I was you know, deep, deep into the nineties alt rock. See, that wouldn't have scene, been. So. I was a goth kid. I don't know what to tell you. Um, uh, and I have seen this photograph online before. I think it's like, can you believe this isn't Photoshop? And it's a little boy sitting on a bed and he's like pink fleshy human. And the one, there's a woman laying on the bed and she's kind of covered and she's an adult. And once again, pink fleshy human, the rest of the room is like a, uh, not quite sky blue, little bluer than that not as white and then there's orange red and or red orange and orange goldfish like everywhere they're floating in the sky they're all over the floor they're on the windowsills they're, they're hanging in the air they're in the lamps they're coming out of the dresser uh they're under the bed they're they're on the windowsills yeah um, but even with that, there's, there's so much else going on in the picture too. Yeah. There's just the pillow on the floor that one of the fish is laying on like a child's head and the decay on the walls that's covered up with the blue paint and the way the child's like looking down as if he's ashamed. It's, it almost seems like there's some kind of weird sexual dynamic going on there. I might be reading too much in, but I know there's a very similar, I want to say it's Eric Fisher that's uh, a little boy fishing into his mother's purse, and it's supposed to be about Fischl. His name is Fischl, Eric. I'm probably getting his name completely wrong. Anyways, it's supposed to be about like early sexuality, and so this kind of seems to come from a similar dialogue, and they would have been peers. Um. But yeah, despite the like whimsical goldfish, there's this undercurrent of like discomfort. And I would call her, I would say she's like a postmodern pop artist who also works with surrealism. Like there's that dreamlike nonsensical quality, but there's still just a little too much of a narrative for it to be a true surrealist piece because they would, they would balk at a narrative completely. It's also very pretty. Yeah, it's pretty. This is it's it's something that's it's light and fun if you don't look real deep into it. Um, you know, and I enjoy looking at it. 
The next one I have flipped to, I've actually seen in art history books. When you said her name as a topic, I didn't recall her at first. I think because of her Sandy's last name is so odd, but uh, this is a very famous photograph. It's called Body Limits. It's a uh, they're actually mannequins that are wrapped in bacon. The floor and walls are bacon. And there's a chair that is blue with bacon wrapped around it like stripes. And one of the mannequins wearing a wig. Yep, a gray wig. And it is kind of like, it's a photograph about like the disgusting meaty quality of humanity. Like we're meaty meat sickles and... This shows it off in all of our bacony, meaty, meat sickle glory. Meat sickle, meat sickle. Mm, bacon. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think after smelling that all day, I would never want bacon again. <laughs> yeah, that, okay, that, that is a fair point. That might be enough to put, put you off your bacon. Yeah, it's like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre when they filmed that movie in the like rotting meat room where there was like actual rotting meat. Those guys were like, you're vegetarian for months. And I'm like, I can see why. So the next one we have flipped to is called Atomic Love. So we have with the cat picture, there's an, a reference to radiation with this one, once again, atomic. And there's a family situated in it. So it tells me that She's okay with she, some of this is referencing the family dynamic that's created after the family of uh, the fifties, after the 1950s, post-World War II, you know, the atomic family, the atomic family. And it's a, uh, I'm going to say this is like a yellow ochre, like table chair, high chair, bucket, baby, man, woman, another man, ceiling fan, and everything is covered in raisin. And there's like two pink meaty meat people who are wearing raisin suits, like yellow and yeah. raisin, raisin suits. And for me, it's, it's, um, it's almost hard to look at this because it is the, the like visual Doppler effect of the things that are covered in raisins causes the edges of them to become like solid black. And I sort of feel like my eyes are failing and I am experiencing static while I'm looking at this because the orange, the orangey yellow underneath is so bright, but you've got these non pattern raisin dots all over just every surface. And it's, it me you know you may want to throw up uh like a tripop phobia <laughs> like like trigger Sorry. warning well and this is uh, no, exactly I don't, have, I don't have that but i could see how this could do that to somebody yeah my husband is ocd and this would drive him completely insane oh yeah, yeah. um and this is exactly how binday dots work. I referenced that earlier. Uh, in print, if you like take a magnifying glass and look at newspaper, it's colored with little dots. Um, and that, and so they create texture by having the dots thicker in a corner. That's also how pointillism works. And that's exactly what's going on here, but in the yeah, actual that's... 3D realm. She's created dichromatic pointillism in 3D. Yeah, and what it would take to do this. And you know what's another really hard thing? 
as an artist is creating the illusion of randomness when you're placing things. Oh, and yeah. she has done that with these raisins and like it's weird because you have to be both conscious and unconscious of it because if you're too conscious you're going to start laying in a pattern if you're too unconscious you're not going to realize you're laying in a pattern right so and, and there is there is definite lack of pattern to it like yeah. just looking at it my brain starts trying to see like things but it is it it literally looks like she has just thrown static from a tv screen <clears throat> all, yeah. like 3d mapped it to all of the surfaces in this room but part of what's beautiful about this is the two people who are wearing the raisin suits but are live people and you can still see their skin and hair you were forced that forces a focal point yes. i mean her arrangement does that very well but the contrast of the like real people and you wonder why are they selected what is the otherness of this couple he seems to be like gripping her arm slightly and she's staring forward at the viewer in a very daring way as if she's like questioning her role here herself well with the person standing behind them i almost get like a feeling like this is a fancy restaurant and they're about to be seated but then you've got the high chair and the pointillism baby on the floor and mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, are they being welcomed? Are they about to be is, given a seat? It's like some kind of domestic. There's no chairs? Yeah. Except for yeah, the one woman seated. It ties back into her. Yeah, there's, there's, there's only one chair around this table. And uh -huh. that's got a, a pointillism woman sitting at it. So that's weird in and of itself. I mean, bypassing all of the other things, that's, it's, all of these things there's just like everything is just carefully measured to make you go oh but if this then but huh yeah yeah it's it's beautifully done this is another piece i really liked um it's called walking on eggshells and the floor is entirely eggs there's custom ceramics on the wall which have a variety of like uh it looks like ancient symbols. Everything is this pale, like, eggshell pink color. There's two women who are nude in the background. One's about to get in a bathtub. One is before a vanity that has been obviously painted that pink color. And there's a toilet in the foreground, but all around them are carved snakes, some of which, well, there's two rabbits in there as well, and the snakes are kind of attacking right. the rabbits there's a third rabbit oh there is in the uh, background up under the sink yeah yeah and it's i kind of feel like this is a comment on like playboy bunnies and male sexuality see i think that the eggs on the floor are not really there i think that that is a print of eggs and then they like she laid a layer of eggshells down to represent the places that they stepped because as you look at the like if you look at the front corner of it those eggs are distorted by perspective like they're elongated and then they get close uh, clustered closer and closer together the further away it gets so i i, I don't know how they did it how she did it i mean it's honestly beautiful. 
if they just stepped in and crushed the eggs, that's an easy explanation. But then you also have the that's placement true. of the reptiles, which is difficult with those are actually eggs but then with the raisin thing like how did the people walk in there and not totally screw up the raisins it's this is they had to lower them in with a crane (laughs) or they placed the raisins on a path that they had left clear it's but you know this kind of dedication to art is just absolutely impressive and here's i flipped again here's the piece of hers that uh absolutely solidifies for me that she is a political artist like that these all have some kind of societal or feminist uh connotation it's called cold war and it's a yellow room where your attention is at a corner a uh, man is cowering on the floor everything around him is bright yellow he has a bright yellow blanket under him he's under a bright yellow table with a phone on top and pointed at him are red army men, red missiles, and it's all like, it's kind of like sinking in on him. It's like a vertigo kind of feeling. And you know, during the Cold War, you were told to like hide under tables because they would magically save you from atomic blasts. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. yellow basset hound next to him too. Oh, is that a basset hound? Yeah, that's a, that's a yellow dog next to him yeah and the dogs what's interesting is then that brings in like the innocence of the dog next to the like cowering fear of the man yeah the dog is is uh but i mean literally you know how they they'll often say that like the art subtly tries to draw your eye to a specific point there's no subtlety to this no this is literally like arrows and people pointing all towards the center of it it's um yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's got a, and the choice of colors as well, worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, red being the missiles and the army people is, uh, you know, obviously a shout out to Russia uh, from Soviet Cold War times. And then um, yellow is the color of cowardice. Yeah. So that's, huh. I hadn't thought about that. That's interesting. I just, you know, and it's interesting that like this one is so blatant where her other ones work with so many pastels or like one color is very bright. And then it's like, but there's, it's repetitious to a point. It almost blurs. Um, See, I'm one, I'm wondering about the phone. If there isn't some bigger meaning behind the phone there, because the phone is like the table obviously he's hiding underneath it and the blanket and the dog are both things of comfort but the phone is the odd man out yeah i mean it blends and like the dog does at, but as she gets more into things there's there's i i've noticed that sometimes she has a tendency to have like an odd man out where there is one element hidden amongst all of the other elements that especially doesn't make sense which is the reason i had you throw the fox one in there when we get to it well it's i'll like, show you what I'm i mean talking. maybe it's about divorce and that breakdown of communications yeah it could be that he's hiding from a phone call or something or and that, suffering from a lack of communication yeah it's there's a lot that's it's neat that you can read so much i added a couple of her true fictions which are these uh, technicolor prints where 
it's almost like a scene from a movie or like a really dramatic moment in real life. And they're once again, hyper colored. She had to stop working on this because they quit producing the uh, ink that she was using. Um, I also added a couple of pictures of the last installation she's done. She's in her seventies now. Um, it says online that she still teaches, but I can only imagine that the level of coordination that goes into this work makes it hard for somebody in their 70s to continue um, creating. Like teaching is, there's a lot of art teachers who are in their 70s or 80s, but uh, these, this kind of large scale installation requires so much coordination. I could see that being like very weary making. Um, and if she's tenured, it's probably not a problem. Um, this last one that she did in 2008 is these uh, people trees. It's like the lower torso of a tree that dissolves into branches where like a torso and arm should be. And there's little chickens on it. The orange ground and blue background are all bent pipe cleaners. And there's like these fuzzy yellow and purple people. And then there's like an actual family in the center that's kind of it's the focal point of this like weird and mysterious world. They're wearing blue. So they do kind of blend with the background. Uh, there's a dog that's sniffing the ground, like it's looking for something and the parents are watching, but the child's looking off elsewhere. It's almost as if there's something missing that they're searching for. Like the way out of this strange nightmare scape that they've found themselves suddenly thrust into. You know, it's just a commentary on the Lord of the Rings. Even the trees walk. <laughs> well, not not just walk. One of those trees looks like it's freaking dancing. It's uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's doing some. Uh, actually, there's a couple of them that have got a good high step going on there. I know, right? Yeah, it's prancing, and she got those to stand up, and there's no visible wire. Good job, good job. She she gets a she gets a cookie. <laughs> Not a lot of artists get cookies and the ones you wanted to talk about didn't show up. So I'm going to pull the uh, Fox's one. This is uh, a okay. Fox games. So now this is a lot like the radioactive cats. We've got the same matte gray over everything. And what we're looking at is like a restaurant scene. I would There's... describe it as a French bistro. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. But there's something really interesting about this, which uh, doesn't show up in her photographs. But when I saw the actual tableaus, like I went to a museum where they actually had a bunch of hers and uh, some of the later ones that she had done. Uh, if you look in the center of this, in the middle of this chaos where you've got all of these glowing red foxes standing on a table and you've got a, a you've got two humans seated in the background and a human waiter serving them. But if you look dead on in the center of this, there is a single lone gray fox, mm -hmm. which pretty much disappears into the picture and is hidden amongst all of the chaos of the red foxes and the grayness of the gray on the gray. And I just thought that was really interesting because it 
when I re it was one of those things where it was like a change blindness sort of thing where I was looking at this and I was looking at this and then I saw the Fox and I was like, Holy crap. Has that one been there the whole time? Mm-hmm. Cause it's, you know, it's, I feel like it by not being important may be significantly more important than all the ones that are glowing red and screaming. Hey, look at me. I'm eating your breadsticks. I would agree with you. I mean, obviously that's deliberate and she has a very good understanding of how the eye sees and it always picks up contrast, the lighter contrast before it picks up the darker contrast. So what leaps out immediately is both the foxes and once again, the like pink flesh quality of the people in the background. And it's kind of, the pink's kind of a similar, like, uh, hue spectrum as the red of the foxes. Um, and I did notice the gray fox at first. It seems to be, like, considering what the other foxes are doing, where the red foxes are all jubilantly playing. They're rolling around, they're mock fighting, they're getting into trouble, and then the it is interesting that that one is left considering and he kind of mirrors the way the waiter is holding his head and considering the patrons. I'm not sure what the undercurrent isn't supposed is supposed to be here. Foxes are kind of a symbol of like male virility, uh, like wild male, male virility, but I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to be that in a place where it doesn't belong. I I don't know either, but I know that it's really cool looking. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I would bring that <laughs> on my wall. Shit. I'm I'm sorry. I don't have a deeper philosophical like like. I'm not going to dive into the the mythos behind this. You know, it you're purdy. Fine. I like purdy. Dude, honestly, now, this one like my oh. over analysis of art in a lot of ways ruins my ability to enjoy it. And sometimes I wish I could go back and like unsee that. You know. Or like a no. So yeah, let's talk right. about... It's, it's like once you know how the magician does the tricks, you're watching for the sleight of hand and then the distractions and stuff instead of enjoying the fact that, oh, look, there's a rabbit. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the loss of innocence in a way. If innocence is speaking kind of, of ignorance. Speaking of... Speaking of loss of innocence. Speaking of like this fucking Invader one. Zim. Oh my God. Oh yeah, <laughs> they're gonna glom I mean, together and go after Dem. I know it. There's some very real. the 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 thing about this, okay, so this last one is called Baby Maybe, and uh, you want to set the scene for the the uh, the audio listeners, or shall I? It's black and gray. The ground is not well defined, but does seem rocky there are green spots coming up from the ground that are almost like a urine stream or a stylized plant. Um, There is the corner of what appears to be a house with a actual woman in black looking out the window and her house is like backed up to a mountain and dancing around and frolicking a lot like our foxes are toddlers about in the 18 month range who are blue and an unnatural pink like these are the colors bodies turn when they're dead i don't i don't 
I mean, they are. No, that blue. Some of them. Well, yeah, some of them are definitely like corpse blue, but there's one that's like in the air that's going on cobalt almost. Yeah. Uh, no, and if, there's if blood pools. That's what a body looks like. Well, I mean, it's just there are uh, there are babies flying. There are babies climbing the side of her house. There there's are some helpless on the ground. Some are crawling. Some are just starting to walk. If I looked out the window and saw this, I'm going in the basement with my shotgun and I'm locking the door. Yeah, the zombie apocalypse has happened. Just and it got to the nursery. I'm not, I'm, I'm not coming out. It's gonna no. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay no. down here for a while. It's some I, I saw on the face on uh, her Wikipedia article and uh, that uh, she let's see, Andy Grunberg described her work that it says evoke adult fears in a playful childlike context. And I can see that for a lot of things. This is, this is, this is adult fears in a like horror dystopian. There's, there's yeah, like they're out of control. This is like if, if somebody fed all of the mushrooms to the Ally McBeal dancing baby. See, this made me think of Eraserhead. Just... Yeah, I can see that Lynch. too. And like, I, I read after I watched Eraserhead that his wife left him after the filming had ended and she just had his daughter. And uh, I, I understood why, because for me, Eraserhead is about all of the horrible things that have kept me from being a parent, like that isolating, awful quality of having children. And for me, this is like that fear personified, like how your life is like gone and you are dominated by this out of control, almost wild animal that you somehow have to like tame and make into a reasonable member of society. But, you know, of course I'm projecting my fear onto it. I feel like David Lynch would give her a high five for this though. Oh yeah. Lynch yeah. would be like, all right. So when do they explode into penises and vaginas? Because that's, that's gotta be next. Yeah. It's right? like, he'd be like high five, have a hamburger. Yeah. Yeah. So David Lynch like, just hands out hamburgers. Every time you do a good job, he keeps them under his cowboy hat and he's just like, Oh, here have a hamburger he like takes the hat off and like tips it forward and you like reach in and pick the like appropriately sized hamburger for how good of a job you did yeah this is this is no slider this is a full-on like double big mac yeah he's he, get, it's got the good cheese like the good craftsman cheese oh yeah cares. yeah this Lynch is Lynch cares deeply about you and your accomplishments yeah this is this is a full-on uh, triple animal style from in and out burger. Oh man. I know. So I need to have dinner. I mean, it's me. just everything. <laughs> if, if you want, if you don't know what you want your desktop wallpaper to be, just throw her name in a Google image search and you will find some really impressive desktop wallpapers that are just waiting to happen. <laughs> and, 
Well, I'm, I'm serious. These are like... <laughs> if you said that to her, that would probably be like her worst nightmare come true. <laughs> I don't know, but also, like, if you ever get a chance to, to see her. I would light up to slap you for that, and I love it. That's beautiful. Thank you for saying that. If you ever get a chance to see uh, the tableaus, if they are still touring, I know when I saw it, I think it was the late 90s, and I think they were back again a few years ago, but I missed it then. But uh, it is as impressive in 3D as it is in her 2D photography. Not to take anything away from the quality of her, her photography, because she has, like you said, she's got the. It's it's a, it's one thing killed. to look at this, especially in the digital era where people look in Photoshop and all sorts of stuff. It's one thing to look at like Revenge of the Goldfish and to see, oh, hey, it's a blue bedroom and stuff. It's another thing to be standing like practically at the foot of this full size room that's just glowing cobalt blue covered in these these giant goldfish that are everywhere. It is an experience. Uh, it is. Anytime I've seen this kind of installation work, the description for my experience would be consuming. Like you were yeah. kind of consumed by the work because we always project ourselves into a space. This is one of the things you have to understand really early in art school. So that these are so powerful, I can only imagine that that's like just a moving experience. And a lot of this work uh, messes with something that's called spectacle that's very important in the 90s and early 2000s work, especially when you get to artists like Damien Hirst and Jeff Koons, who we've covered before, because the spectacle of their um, controversial or monumental pieces are part of what is the innate art experience. And uh, I would say that applies to these, especially it has to to the installation pieces. Like, I, I think I would just appreciate her on a whole different level if I saw one of these installations in person. Oh, yes. It's, it's, um, it is uh, both amazing and confronting mm -hmm. to see just uh, the sheer size and scope and and the thought and process that have gone into these and i mean it's really like i said it's not it's it's more than just the pretty picture that you get at the end and the pretty picture is awesome but there is an entire 3d diorama that is full size and and in in extra living color that 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 is just one angle of see so many of these are so anxiety riddled i have a hard time with using the word pretty but then to the art world the word pretty a lot of times is an insult i not to criticize you i'm just saying so because once again my view of the world has been warped by the ridiculous amount of money i spent going to art school um, um i can't enjoy anything anymore anyways uh, you know what i hope 
I hope that like Marcel Duchamp, she spends the last years of her life creating one final ridiculous tableau. Like I hope that it is like the blown out crunk spectacle of magic photography and spaceness that like will just blow people's minds when they see it. Like that's, I hope that's what she's doing right now because there's a lot of space between her last big piece, which was in 2008 and now. So hopefully she's still working and, you know, what we see in the end will, you know, be a glorious accumulation. Not that that last one isn't uh, appropriate for oh, yeah. and it's the train of how this artwork progressed. But I, you know, I always want to think that like, as long as they're still going, there's this like one last just fucking amazing thing this artist is going to do. And it's, it's, you know, always possible, you know, we may, we may yet still get the shocking black and white juggalos fake the moon landing. <laughs> oh, I just, I just pissed my pants in fear. Anyways. <laughs> well, like I said, like, like Wikipedia said, it, Hell no. it's, child, it, it's expressing adult fears through childlike. So yeah. That juggalos would explain juggalos. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> No, it's, it's, um, yeah. yeah. I'm, I am terribly sorry. No, it's Sandy okay. Skuggle. Should you, should you happen to listen to this? I'm sorry that I called things pretty. They are, they are running evocative, transformative. Look at you. You got a smart vocabulary. I do. I you make do. words good. You good words. Good. Me, I'm good word maker. Yeah, high five. So I think that we have a... <laughs> Jim, Jim, it has been a pleasure doing a podcast with you. We got to do this again sometime. Well, there's always next year's Irish festival. There's always next year's Irish festival. I'll just fire Katie. No, I'm kidding. All right. Well, this has been an episode of Art, I Swear. I'm Vanessa Van Olstein. And I am Jim Hansen. And uh, have a creative day. Art, I Swear's intro and outro is brought to you by Joe Giggs, a tableau of magical musical sounds in the New York City area. DJ Joe Giggs. Art, I Swear would also like to thank the Iridial Project for all samples used in our intro and outro. Adios, amigos. Tableau.